Dialogic Disciple is an invitation to explore discipleship in dialogue with the world as disciples of the word. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dialogic Disciple Podcast. My name is James and I am here with my co-host, Elizabeth Shaby. Elizabeth, I want to jump right into our topic today. You and I had the privilege of going to see one of our favorite New Testament scholars. N.T. Uh, Wright. Working today, yes, N.T. Wright. New Testament Wright, as they call him uh, in, the, in the in crowd. You and I are both Bible nerds. So this is I love that this I get was, to be called that now. <laughs> this is one of the one of the joys. It's kind of like going to Comic Con, I guess, for us in some sense, right? Yes. But we watched him and and uh, we listened to him over the course of three or four days do like nine sessions on the Book of Acts, and it was it was phenomenal. Uh, a question, a kind of a question answer, a time was provided for us, and somebody in the crowd asked him, uh, you know, if if Paul were able to come back today, if he were able to take a glimpse at the world today and see how the church has spread out across the entire world. Uh, and how his mission to the Gentiles had been so successful. What do you think he'd say? What's the first thing that Paul would say? And N.T. Wright kind of shook his head and, and said in a very kind of somber tone, he said, I, I think the first thing that Paul would say is, or the first thing that Paul would comment on, is how divided we are. But even more important than that, maybe, and, and uh, more troubling than that, is, is how much we don't seem to care that we are divided. It's fascinating, isn't it? Well, we don't really think about this, um, or at least we don't we don't put a lot of uh, time on this, right? I mean, this is the way that we do church and religion. It's it's based on denominations, and this is how we have become accustomed to doing church, right? Okay, you believe what you're going to believe. I'm going to believe what I'm going to believe, and that means we'll be in two separate buildings, and we'll just go our separate ways. Right. It's become the norm, right? It's become mm-hmm. the norm for us to think about church as being divided and it, it it doesn't trouble us because it seems like it just makes sense like if you're presbyterian and you believe this particular thing you should be over the presbyterian church if you're methodist and you you know you should be, you belong over here or if you're catholic or whatever mm-hmm. you might be these divisions that they're they're so long standing now in our tradition as as christians that they don't trouble us and this is truly troubling because for paul if you go back and look at the new testament in every single one of his letters he talks about the unity of the church and how the unity of the church is our most important witness as the church of God, as disciples of Jesus Christ. That it is the unity of the church that shows to the world that we are bound together by the Holy Spirit and not by our own opinions or by our own thoughts or by, you know, we're not bound together as every other social organization, you know, in, in, in the world is. We're not bound together by nationality. We're not bound together by gender or race or anything like that. We are bound together simply and only by the Holy Spirit. One cup, one Lord, one baptism. And that unity is the beacon that shines to the world and says, hey, there's something different going on there. So when we divide up, I think there's something like 1,500 different denominations in the United States alone in Christianity. That is incredibly troubling if what Paul says in his letters, as part of the New Testament, which we consider to be the authoritative uh, word of God, uh, what do we do with that? I want to highlight kind of what, I, what you're getting at, or what the New Testament is getting at, is that we are not bound by all these other things, right, that you listed off, um, race, gender, cre- all these things, right? We are bound by the spirit, but that doesn't mean those things go away. And I think right. that's what makes it unique, right? We yes. are unique individuals. We have these differences of opinion, of background, of perspective, and all these things, but 
what the spirit enables us to do is to transcend. But again, it's not transcend as in like leave it behind. It's still there, right? Right. We're not, it's not being washed away in a sense that it's irrelevant. Like it's there, but we figure out how to be unified within all those differences. It becomes part of the body. Right? Yes. It becomes a, a unique part of the body that the, can speak to some aspect of human existence that needs to be heard and how God interacts with human existence. You know, gender, race, these things are not unimportant. They're part of God's creation, but they can't be walls of separation. They can't be dividing lines. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, this is a, was one of the first verses, by the way, that I ever committed to memory. Um, I was, I was 13, you know, you know me, I was a Bible quizzer, right? So of course uh, I'm big, but Bible nerd, Bible nerd since day one. But at one point I had all first Corinthians memorized. And one of the first verses that I had memorized is this one. And I, I didn't, I didn't, didn't as he looks at his, at his Bible (laughs) to read it. (laughs) Well, I said used to, I was 13. All right. That was, that was literally 30 years ago. (laughs) We're Uh, telling our ages now. (laughs) So, oh my gosh, I'm old. Uh, anyway, uh, this is one of those verses that when I memorized it at 13, I didn't realize how important it was, but it has constantly and consistently come up in my life in different areas. So it's, it's the power of memorizing scripture speaks here as well. But anyway, first Corinthians chapter one, verse 10, Paul gives us kind of a little bit of a mission statement when it comes to what the church should be as far as unity goes. He says this, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly, that is, wholly or completely, united in mind and thought. That is quite the call to action there, one that we as the church have not been very good at fulfilling. And I think part of the reason why that is, is because we have become so acclimated and accommodating to the culture that we find ourselves in. Oh, absolutely. Part of the culture that we have is this kind of post-enlightenment individualism that, that the United States of America was rooted in, founded in, and it is part of our DNA at this point that we are individuals and that we have the right to make choices about what we believe and what we think and what we do. And to some degree, that's all true. But when it comes to being part of the church, that you have to die to self, let go of self, empty self. There are no longer any rights. It's all about gifts. And part of that gift, one of those gifts, is the community of the church. And when we bring that kind of individualism in, we it, through the back door comes pride and arrogance and these other things like, I'm right about this thing, and I know I'm right about this thing, and you obviously are wrong about this thing. I can no longer worship with you. Because we disagree on some topic, some piece of doctrine, some idea. Uh, that is what our culture is all about. You look around the world today and people are arguing and fighting and are polarized more than maybe they have ever been. I'm sure every generation has said that, but it, I mean, you can really see it. And there are really big, huge impacts on our culture because of the way that we treat one another and are divided even, even outside of the walls of the church. Uh, you know, in another place, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, Paul tells us that, you know, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be mm-hmm. transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's in Romans chapter 12, verses like one and two, somewhere in there. <laughs> and that transformation piece that helps us, that combines us, that brings us together in the Holy Spirit, united under one Lord, one cup, one baptism, that is the witness that the church has for the world and one that we have failed. We have failed to give and to shine out into the world uh, 
pretty much since day one. We've been talking about Matthew in my New Testament class, moving into Mark. But one of the themes that uh, my professor highlighted is this picture that Matthew gives us of um, how Jesus's actions match what he is saying, right? Um, so what, what I hear you do, what I hear you say is going to match what I see you do. And so we have this model for preaching and teaching and then action. And I wonder as we, you know, as you and I sit here and talk, um, (laughs) we, I think kind of this like enlightenment thing that you're talking about is we have a tendency to think and dwell and talk about things a lot more than we actually do them. Yeah. And I think this is, this is a problem that I have in my faith. Um, and I think it kind of goes back to this separation thing, right? You know, what we do in our everyday lives, churches on Sunday, you know, we go to worship and, you know, and then the rest of your life is something totally different over here. Right. And it's this, there's more thinking about our faith and that's that personal individualized faith, right? It's prayer. And, you know, it's the conversation you have in your head with God. And like you've always said, James, that these things are good, right? These are a natural part of our faith. But if they become too separated from the work we actually do with our hands, right? If the things that we're speaking about God are not parallel to the actual practice of our faith, then I think that's where some of this, some of this struggle comes from, right? We get distracted with the thinking and if we spend too much energy on that, we're not doing right. And it's it's so much easier to have differences of opinions when we are talking to each other and again that's not bad yes. right but like it's the lack of practice and the lack of doing that i think gets us into trouble i think that's exactly right in fact what you just said reminds me of something that dr bill said back when we were working on the uh, habitat for humanity house and the idea that that you know one of the things that, that happens there is you get a bunch of people across the spectrum uh, of you know i guess i guess the spectrum of liberal to conservative when you're talking about different thinking uh, behind the church or politics or whatever, but you get mm-hmm. uh, you get a whole spectrum of those people uh, who are here at Northside Church. They're out there building this house, you know, out in the sun or out in the cold or whatever, you know, what weather conditions, and they're helping each other build this house, and nobody's talking about what they disagree about because they're serving right. together as one body because they're doing something and not talking. That's you're exactly exactly it. exactly right. Like, when you have time to just sit around and think, of course you're going to come up with stuff that you disagree about. Yeah. But when you're out in the world actually doing the work that is the mission of the church and loving people, you don't have time to sit and be like, well, you know, I don't think that you're actually right about this particular interpretation of Scripture or whatever. Yeah. And, and of course, you know, like, we can talk about you know, what it means that the thing that I practice is, you know, in, in, is hurting another person or, you know, like we're trying to do life together and there's a certain level of, you know, you have to figure things out and you have to decide how you're going to do things. And there's, you know, you have to talk about it and you got to figure it out. Right. But I think it's, I think it's, again, it's not that one thing is bad. It's about balance. Yeah. And I would almost say that shouldn't be an equal balance of thinking and doing there should be less thinking and more doing and yes. that's the actual balance if that makes sense yeah i think it does your 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 thinking about the gospel should lead you to action right and then your action will change your thinking like it's it goes back and forth it goes both ways right one of the things that we do here at the church one of the you know the the mission statement of the methodist church as a whole is to make disciples of jesus christ 
What does that mean? What does that entail? It, a lot of it has to do with reading scripture, learning how to pray, learning spiritual disciplines. You know, all of those things are important. Doing worship on Sunday, one of the most important things we do as a church. But all of those are intended to inform you and shape you and transform you so that when you step out of the, out of the doors of the church, you're actually taking the church to the world. Mm-hmm. And if we step out of this building and we're not taking the church to the world by being contentious or by being di- divisive, or by being these things, you know, where we hold our own opinions and our own thoughts more valuable than our community uh, or our unity as the church. Once we start to walk down that path, we have <laughs> we have failed to be the body of Christ. Uh, Romans fourteen twenty two says, "The faith that you have have as your own conviction before God." Blessed are those who have no reason to condemn themselves because of what they approve. But those who have doubts are condemned if they eat because they do not act from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. I thought this is a fascinating passage, right? It's kind of talking about how you are perfectly allowed to have your own convictions, right? Have your beliefs, have your thoughts, have your opinions. But what matters is what you do with them. And those things should lead you to service. Yes, service that doesn't that doesn't cause someone else to stumble right that's the right it should lead you to care about your neighbor right at, at the end of the day that it, it should lead you to love your neighbor and if at any point it is it is causing you not to love your neighbor or if it's causing you to separate yourself from your neighbor or if it's causing you to uh to build a wall between your neighbor then something's not right there yeah right mm-hmm. in that same passage paul goes on to say uh, and, and the context of this passage in Romans 14 is, is there's some Christians who believe you can eat meat that's sacrificed to idols, and there's some Christians that think you can't, right? And Paul's like, oh my gosh, you guys will find anything to fight about, right? And basically he's like, look, do whatever you want to do. It's important that you are convicted about it one way or the other and, and follow your conviction. But he ultimately says in verse 22 of chapter 14, whatever you believe about these things, whatever it is, one way or the other, keep it between yourself and God. Keep it between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself, so on and so forth, as you said. Right? So, Isn't that fantastic? Yeah. The, I, I, this passage needs to be read more. Right. <laughs> it really does. Like, have it. Do it. Believe it. But. Don't let it break the community. Right. Right. At the end of the day. That is a powerful word. It really is. And one that I think. It's, it's something that Paul, I mean, the reason why Paul talks about unity all the time is because that was an issue in the early church, right? People were fighting about these things, things that they thought were really, really important. But at the end of the day, Paul, coming from his Pharisaical background, right? He was a Pharisee. And in fact, he'll tell you, he was the best of the Pharisees, right? Uh, and, you know, so he knows what it is to be legalistic. Like, he knows what it is to care and be passionate about the law, right? From a, from a good perspective, like, you know, we, we were talking about this before, but, you know, we like to demonize the Pharisees. But really all they are is people who are passionate about doing what God has told us to do. They're lay people. They're, yeah. <laughs> They're not clergy. They're lay people that, that right. care about the— care. about Exactly. Yeah. And, and so Paul is one of these guys, and he knows what it is to, like, care and be concerned about what the Bible says you should be doing and not doing. Right? He knows what that is. But he takes the same kind of tact that Jesus himself did— Jesus knew the law better than anyone. He is the law embodied, right? And he never allowed the law to come in between a relationship between him and somebody else. He was always about, you know what? The law 
was created for you. You weren't created for the law, right? And so you could say the same thing about the Bible as a whole. You can say, Scripture was given to us for us. We weren't made so that Scripture could be fulfilled, right? There, there is a level of, of uh, discernment and Holy Spirit kind of work that needs to be done there, obviously. But I think when we, <laughs> when we allow our opinions and interpretations of the Bible to, to break a relationship that we have in Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit, we have, be, we have taken that pharisaical route uh, that often can go too far. Not that, not that we're badly intentioned. It's not that we have bad intentions, right? Our intentions might be really good. But it, you look at what Jesus does and how Jesus operates in the world. You talk about how Paul is trying to uh, help these struggling communities stay together. And the relationship with fellow disciples of Jesus Christ is more important than any thoughts or thinking or doctrine or interpretation that you may have about the Bible or any other aspect of human existence. Amen. You know, we had an experience here um, at Northside. We have had a couple over the last uh, I've had a whatever few experiences here two at months uh, at our church council meetings, and you know there is a lot to be said about you know the actual topic of what's going on there. But um, and I know there have been a lot of different opinions about how those meetings have gone. But I I think it's worth saying I really really appreciated the respect and the dialogue that has come out of those those sessions, yeah. right? The, the fact that we're able to say, you know, to each other, well, this is what you think and this is what I think, but we can still worship together on Sunday. Yeah. We yeah. can still be here as one church. Right. I think that's one of the things that gives me um, a lot of hope for Northside Church uh, and really um, uh, pride in a good way. Like I'm proud of this church and the congregates that are part of this church because Man, you look around right now, even it, it, just particularly if you just limit yourself to the Methodist denomination, there's so much division happening right now. Right? The church is going through this huge split over, over issues um, of, of interpretation and doctrine, over issues of scriptural interpretation, uh, and, and relationship is being left behind. Uh, and these divisions are happening, and they're happening not just in the Methodist church, they're happening across, you know, across the globe. Uh, and they have been happening forever and always. Um, but when I look at this, when I look at Northside Church, you know, we have our issues, we have our problems, obviously, but, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out if we're going to renovate the sanctuary or not. And a lot of people have a lot of strong opinions about that. A lot of people have put in some really good work on what that's going to look like. A lot of people have concerns about this, that, and the other. And it's, it is one of those things that I've seen churches just tear into each other with. But what I what I witness, like you're saying, in, in Northside is this kind of ability to, to debate and to mm-hmm. have dialogue uh, and even to disagree about where the church should go in this particular issue and yet still come together in a way that truly shows that we are bound together in the spirit and be able to worship, like you said, worship on Sunday, sit in the same pew together and worship. I've said this many times. It's one of the tenets of this podcast and, and my entire like core of, of the ministry that I do is that God loves the debate. God loves the discussion. God even loves the disagreement. Like God loves the disagreement. What God hates is the division. And so you can disagree. You can disagree about important things, things that you hold to be really important and still be bound together in the spirit and allow the spirit over time to bring reconciliation to that situation. That's how we show, again, this is Paul, 
This is how we show the world that we are not just a bunch of people who are getting together because we agree with one another, right? We are bound together in this way that goes beyond our our individual selves. It goes beyond even just this community here at Northside Church. And when we can't do that, man, I, I said the other day, I said to, um, I was meeting with a, a, a church member um, just yesterday, actually, and I was saying that my conviction my firm conviction, this is, this is a broad statement, and I understand there might be exceptions, but my firm conviction is that when a church divides, when there is division in the church, all it shows is that the Holy Spirit is not present or that it's not being heard, it's not yeah. being discerned. Yeah. Uh, because I don't think the Holy Spirit ever brings division, ever, ever. I mean, I think, you know, this book that we're each holding, you know, in our laps is a perfect representation of that. You know, I mean, we have, what, how many books are in this thing? Bible 66. 66 books bound together, literally bound with stitches and glue. And they, you know, between two covers. And there are so many different voices and different opinions that that come together to make the word of God that I'm holding right here. Right? I mean, how incredible is that? You said the other day, um, Job and Solomon would not worship together. Right. I mean, and yeah. yet here they are bound together in this book that we hold, right? I, I, yeah, and that represents our faith. I think it's the foundation of our faith. That, again, that's one of the great things I love about scripture. I mean, it's, it's a dialogue, it's a conversation, and there's disagreement, right? Not mm-hmm. contradiction. You know, some people jump and say, "Oh, you're saying the Bible is contradicting itself." No, the Bible as a whole is one big long conversation in which we are invited to participate in. But it is an ongoing conversation where certain people disagree about how God works in the world. That is okay. Again, God loves a disagreement because out of that disagreement comes learning and challenge and the mm-hmm. realization that we cannot hold the truth on our own. Like we can't hold the truth, that God is the only one who holds the truth. And that gets disseminated down to us through the Holy Spirit. So like Job, Job and Solomon are, are, are Job, let's say the author of Job and the author of Proverbs clearly have a disagreement on how God works. Because if you were only had Proverbs, you would come away from Proverbs thinking, if I do what's good, I will receive what's good. If I do right, I will get good, right? I, that's how it works. If I do good, if I do what God tells me to do, I will be blessed and receive good things. That's what Proverbs says. And a lot of times that's true. There's some connection to that. Then you bring in, then Job raises his hand from the back of the congregation and says, well, let me tell you a different story because <laughs> I did what was right and this is what happened to me. And then you get another guy from the balcony who stands up and says, well, my name is Ecclesiastes <laughs> and I have a story to tell you too. I don't think any of this means anything, <laughs> right? And that's a conversation that's happening there. And the truth isn't in any one of those books. It's it's in the it's conversation together. itself. That that mirrors the relationship that God is. That mirrors the Trinity God is a trinity. God is three persons having a conversation about what it means to love, I think, right? And so it, 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 God doesn't rest in, in one, one of those persons. It, God rests in that, in that relationship, right? And just like we as human beings aren't the image of God when we kind of separate ourselves and isolate ourselves, we are only the image of God when we come into community with one another and are bound together in community, which is what the function of the Holy Spirit is all about. That's why it's a witness to God's <laughs> reality in the world. That's what Paul is talking about. Uh, and we can't do that if, if we're going to disagree so hard with each other that we simply have to walk away. 
And we were like, no, I can't do this anymore. Now, there are serious things that happen in churches that are well beyond what just, just dis, disagreement, right? And those are places where the Holy Spirit has to work extra hard, right? Or that we have to really discern extra extra carefully with what the Spirit wants us to do. So I'm not, I'm not in any way saying this is a blanket coverall for everything that happens in a church. But right. I will say this. It is a testament to the power of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit that even in the most broken situations, God can bring reconciliation. And in a sense, that is what the gospel message that we speak is all about. Um, if you go to 2 Corinthians, right, we spent a lot of time with Paul in and, 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 and Corinthians, but if you go to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, you get this you get this beautiful kind of declaration of, of what it is that we are and, what, and, and the work that the Holy Spirit is doing through us. So he says, and, and I want to read this. I know this is a little bit, uh, this is a lot, but I want to read just a, a, a clip from this because I think it's really important. So, so this is what Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to start with verse uh, 13. He says, If we are out of our mind, as some say we are, it is for God. And if we are in our right mind, it is for you, for Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, their opinions, their thoughts, what they think, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And this is my favorite part. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, from a human point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, gave us, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this same message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We are ambassadors of reconciliation. That is what we are, as people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And when we, <laughs> when we can't even get along with each other, and can't reconcile with each other. Our mission has failed. We lost our saltiness. Yeah, that's right. That's how we lose our saltiness. Yeah. So. He's preaching, y'all. He's preaching. <laughs> <laughs> you got fired up there. <laughs> I think part of the way that we do this, like you're talking about staying in relationship with people, it's about getting to know someone. Getting on, to know you. Right, exactly. Getting to know all about you. Right, and so exactly, yes, exactly that. Like getting to know this, the whole person, right? We yeah. have, uh, again, I, I think we, and this is a generalization, but um, I do it, so I think you do it too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we have a tendency to flatten people, right? You know, we, Ooh, we yeah. have this whole thing in our heads, right? Like I heard a, I think it was a therapist say once, like, um, I judge myself based on um, my good intentions, but I judge you based on your poor actions. Oh, yeah. Kind of, and that that mm -hmm. was speaking in like a you know 
intimate relationship sense, right? right? Like, right. you know, because I know all my thoughts, right? And I, I'm sitting here all day in my head and I know what I meant to do and I know what my intentions are and right. I think I know where my heart is and all these things. Sure. But I look at you and I see, you know, I hear what you said uh-huh. and I see what you did and I don't really like that, right? <laughs> and so I have a tendency, you know, again, whether yes. it's, you know, it's your spouse right. um, or your right. best friend or someone in church with you or, you know, someone down the street or the someone person in the car that you don't knows? know. Yeah. Right, yeah. Oh, in traffic, you do that all the time. Right. Right. right, exactly. You know, and your intention was to cut me off and to tick me off. Right, right. And so we have this tendency to flatten people. And I think this this relationship piece is about getting to know a whole person. Yeah. Right. And I can't, you know, we've been talking about this a lot um, with our mission stuff. And Angela, I think, has helped our staff hugely with this is, you know, what does it mean to get to know a whole person and their needs? Yeah. Right. And to not just come in and say, oh, well, I have some resources and I feel called to help. So let me just, you know, right. put my help on you. Yeah. And hopefully that <laughs> works for you. Right. right. It's like, what does it mean to actually like, well, what do you need? Yeah. Right. Like you're a whole person right. and, you know, you have pride and dignity and resources and all the things in right. ways that I have them. Maybe it just looks a little bit different. Sure. So how can we partner together? Right. How can we work together instead of seeing me as the thing that has all the good intentions and all the resources and you as the thing that doesn't, Right. you know, and right, operating exactly. from that, right? So it's, it's that relationship piece. It's that seeing that whole person or, you know, talking about someone who has a different opinion on something. Well, why? What, what yeah. is it in your experience in your, because I bet you for anything, someone has an, you know, what may look to you as a nasty opinion or something that doesn't make any sense or it's dumb right. or it's ridiculous. There is a whole human being and a whole life that has gotten them to that place. Right. And yeah, maybe even after you hear about it, you hear the backstory, you still won't agree, right. but, but you can, you can understand, maybe. you can empathize and you yeah. understand how that person got there. So by flattening, I, I want to make sure I get this correctly. Cause I think this is, I think it's fascinating. I, I like this idea a lot. Um, by flattening, you, you, what you're saying is like, sometimes we'll, we'll hear what somebody's opinion or what they're thinking is on a particular issue within the church or a piece of doctrine or interpretation of scripture. And we limit our understanding of that person to that one take that they have. Yeah. And rather than trying to understand and actually love the other person that's standing in front of us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's very good. That's kind of, and again, that's a way in which we reflect our culture, which mm-hmm. we shouldn't. When you look on television and you see all oh, the, the, <laughs> The joke that is presidential debates or the uh, the joke yeah. that is you know, editorial news where people uh, are just throwing out opinions or they're trying. They're actually trying to to upset people in mm-hmm. some cases. Right. But right. you don't ever like when you when someone's running for an office or when somebody is stating an opinion that is something you disagree with. We we are. You're right. We are apt to to flatten them into that one position without really thinking about who they are as a complete human being, regardless of whether we agree with them or not. Now that's in the world. And now we're reflecting that rather than reflecting the image of Christ, we're reflecting that back to the world, right? We're saying, well, hey, you guys are doing it. Let's try and we'll do the same thing. Let's see where it gets us. And where it's gotten us is just constant division. Division is a disease. So we so we do exactly that. We flatten somebody to this one opinion, and then and then we respond to that person who is by by the call of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is our neighbor, and we get offended. And this is one of yes. the things that and the, that kind of a, being offended or taking offense at things is one of the things that leads to division in the church. But here's something that maybe a lot of people aren't going to like. Something that I don't personally uh, like either, but I think it's true. 
if you're a Christian, if you're truly following the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you really are trying to move forward by emptying yourself, dying to yourself, and, and embodying the love that Jesus Christ has for you, you can't get offended. Christians should never be offended. Because what is offense, right? I'm talking about personal offense. Like it is, you, you, you disagree with something or something hits you the wrong way. There's a great, uh, another, another First Corinthians passage from chapter 6 where Paul says uh, something to the effect of, you know, as Christians, as disciples, like, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Uh, and I would add, like, why not rather be offended rather mm-hmm. than, than get so offended by something that you can no longer be in relationship? Again, we are modeling the culture around us rather than modeling the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are, we are so caught up in what, what our rights are and what we are offended by and, and what is politically correct and all these mm-hmm. other things rather than actually getting back to the heart of the gospel. I think it's a pride versus humility thing. Can oh, absolutely. Boil down to that. We have a tendency to say, yes, absolutely. That's the thing. You're doing it, you know, versus <laughs> what, you know, for yeah. whatever. Right. Yeah. Or, uh-huh. you know, we we adopt a, a fight song or a cry, a battle cry kind of thing. Or, yeah. you know, instead of, you know, that whole what is it, that thing my mom used to say, you know, if you're in a, you're in a glass house, don't throw stones. Right. right? Like right. look in your own closet kind uh-huh. of thing, you know, and it's like to realize that. I am I am a loved child of God. I'm a sinning, right? But yes. loved child of God just like you are. Yeah. Right? And I have my own imperfections as well. And so what does it mean if God can love me through that? I'm then called to love you through that instead of saying right. Yes. And and it's you, not me. <laughs> it's like the, you know, it's the Taylor Swift thing, right? <laughs> Hi, it's me. I'm yeah, probably right. it's me, right? Uh <laughs> But no, you're exactly right. And and the other thing to keep in mind is in God's eyes, it's all the same. It's all sin and disease. Whatever you think the other guy is doing that is so terrible in God's mind, whatever you're doing is just as bad because it's about breaking relationship. Sin is always about breaking relationship. And if you're breaking relationship, you are just as guilty, right? And you are, mm-hmm. you were sinner, just like me. We're all sinners, right? And if you can take that mindset that, whatever is wrong with me is just as bad as whatever is wrong with you, then maybe somehow we can let the spirit bind us together and reconcile us in a way that, man, a way that points toward the, the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Like that we're not just making this stuff up. Like this is a real thing. (laughs) So, uh, something that some of you may not know about me. I love Dolly Parton. She's my hero. Working nine to five. So much more than that. Yes, but so much more than that. That's her only song. I love this I woman. Recall. She started a rock album, which is coming out. She's releasing the song slowly. She just got inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which she didn't want. She was like, I'm not going to go. I, I'm not rock and roll. And they were like, Dolly, you are rock and roll. <laughs> but she's owning it now, right? And she's yes, making a whole rock yes, album. She's yeah. like, all right, I got to step up. <laughs> um, and I, I love this woman. I think something I think is cool about you know, you have so many people that like Dolly Parton, like her fan base is this incredible, diverse swath of people. Mm-hmm. She's got a very diverse crowd that I, in, in her fan base. And I think she does a really good job. And I'm, I don't like, you know, I don't, I don't know who she is. I've never met her. And I don't typically like being one of those people that's like, oh, well, you know, this person, you know, this pop star, this whatever does this or is this way. Like me and Tay um, Right. Yeah. But um, I think she has a unique way of approaching kind of what we're talking about, which is 
like I don't want to I don't want to talk about this kind of stuff. I'm not going to be political because it's about unity and not division. Like it's yeah. about loving people. And I've heard her say something to that effect in the in, in that in that vein. And um, she this new song that she's got it's called World on Fire. And it's about it's about and she has this line in there about like, you know, I don't typically speak up much. Right. Um, But then she goes to this whole thing about the dirty politicians and we're all lying. And what does it mean to love each other instead and rise above this? And I I've had someone listen to the song and the person said, oh, well, you know, this. Oh, this song is about this politician. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, that's that's the great thing about it. It's it's not it's not a battle cry against any one particular person. Right. Right. What she's trying to do is like look at yourself look at all of us how are we all part of this problem and how can we all choose to rise above these right. conflicts yes. by loving each other yeah yeah it's good Dolly so, Parton a prophet yes who knew yes. who knew oh and I think that's exactly the point and 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 again so just to get back to this like this is not to say that there aren't serious concerns and problems in the church it's not to say that, that right. having Having good and righteous and, and correct thinking about scripture and about doctrine and stuff are not important. But none of those things should get in the way of the relationship that we have that we're when we're bound together under one Lord, one cup, one baptism. That's the most important thing. And for Jesus, you saw that. We've talked about it already, but just to reiterate the idea. For Jesus, it was all about relationship. It was all about relationship. It was not about are are you thinking about scripture correctly are you interpreting that correctly i know the bible says you know you shouldn't talk to gentiles or whatever you shouldn't talk to samaritan whatever jesus had no problem on any given day of the week almost always on sabbath breaking the law breaking the letter of the law in order to show that the spirit of the law is what binds us together i think we as as disciples of Jesus need to lay down our confidence and arrogance when it comes to knowing what we know that we know that we know and knowing what is right and be willing to not break relationship with other people just because we disagree with them even if they aren't very kind about it and that's the other thing like that's what love your enemies is all about right and pray for those who persecute you like even if the other person is coming at you with with uh, you know things that can be considered anti-christian or whatever like even if they're coming at you trying to offend you you you're like Jesus when you you hang on that cross and you say father forgive them for they know not what they do right we're all we're all plugged into this world of sin and 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 this this we're all addicted to it. I mean sin is our addiction. Church is our recovery group. This is what we need in order to come together as the body of Christ. And we need each other. So I told you we were talking about Matthew in my New Testament class and we read this article uh this person interviewed Palestinian Christians and what their kind of take was on the on the Beatitudes and Jesus's call to resisting evil and nonviolence and, you know, all this stuff. And, you know, these, these are people that are living in a situation where they are persecuted every day, right? This right. is, I don't know about you, but an experience that I have no context for, sure. right? And sure, I sure. would wager a guess that most people listening to this probably don't either, right? I mean, yeah. it's the deep violence and oppression in your everyday life that you're living in. And so the, these folks are talking about what it means to be a peacemaker in this situation, yeah. right? In the face of your oppressor. 
And one thing that they, they were getting at was this understanding that what God gives us is, is empowerment. Right. So it's what can I do? Like, what is my my therapist always asks me, like, what is your power in this situation? Right. So whether it is, you know, violent oppression or just your own anxiety that you are burdened by. Right. It, it is helpful. We feel like things are out of our control. Right. We get anxious. Yeah. Things are spiraling, whatever your situation is. And we have to ask ourselves, like, OK, well, what is my power in this situation? Yeah. Right. What can I do? And. God gives us that answer, right? It's, it's, it's love. Yeah. Right. And so what does it mean to be able to look that situation in the face and say that God has given me the power to love despite all of these, this, these waters of chaos that are rising around me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that takes, you know, what does it mean to love in a situation like that? Again, that's part of the discernment of the community, right? That's Mm -hmm. not something that you have to come up with by yourself. Um, you know, and and you you mentioned like that's that's a great example. Like in in those situations with in, in Palestine where there's actual physical persecution and and pain, you know, a lot of us don't go through stuff like that. And and again, I think it gets back to what you said originally, which is that we have time to sit around and think about this stuff. Right. And that's what leads it. It's not it's not a accident that Paul spends most of his time talking about unity in his letters to the Corinthians because the Corinthian church was the first church that we know of in the ancient world in in Christianity that didn't suffer persecution they were allowed to be however they wanted to be and so they had a lot of extra time on their hands to just sit around and think about well what's something we can fight about you know almost like we're always looking for fights oh yeah absolutely right it's like we need it the conflict what does it mean to see your enemy right as a potential neighbor yeah. One not of the a potential neighbor. I mean, what does it look like to see? Well, but maybe maybe you're not in that place, right? Like kind of kind of thing, right? right? Like what right. does it mean to look at this person and see a potential neighbor in that? Right? Like um what one of the quotes from the, this Palestinian Christian that this person interviewed, um those who engage in retaliation become victims in this spiral of violence. Jesus wants his disciples to be subjects who act and do not just react. Oh, that's good. And so that that's that empowerment piece, right? Yeah. Can we can we figure out how to act in love, out of love, instead of God's love, right? Instead of reacting to what another person says or does. That's good. With the, I think that's the difference. With the understanding that to truly act out of God's love means self-sacrifice and self-giving love. Like that, it's going to cost you something. That's the thing. And that's, I think, one of the things that holds us back is that we're okay with loving people as long as it doesn't really cost us anything. Right. Right. And, and it just might be pride just to be yeah. wrong in a situation. Right. Right. And I think that, so that's what really got me about this whole, this testimony from the Palestinian Christians, right? It's like, it's not about um, laying down and let an abuser abuse you, right? That's not what we're talking right. about here because God does not want but that. But it's standing up in love. It's standing, it's standing up in love. And maybe that means separating yourself, right? In situations like that, mm-hmm. or, you know, it's yeah. this nonviolent resistance that Jesus is talking about, right? Right. right. So I want to, I want to finish our conversation today. Um, you know, we've been reading a lot of, a lot of scripture today. That's good. Uh, scripture, Bible's great. I want to finish our, our conversation today, Elizabeth, by reading, um, from a passage that, that we've read um, 
many times before, at least part of it. Philippians chapter 2, we talk about Philippians chapter 2 a lot. Uh, if you've ever been taking a class with me, you know, I always find an excuse to bring it up. You and I talk about it a lot. It's actually the foundational text for our Advent devotional, devotional that people. is coming up here. Um, but I, I want to read the part before the part we usually read, because I think, I think it is a good kind of closing thought for the, our, our conversation today, but also a call to all of us as members of Northside, but really as disciples of Jesus Christ. So this is all before the kenosis passage or the emptying passage. This is uh, Philippians chapter 2, and I'm going to read the first four verses. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. And this, is the, this is the important part. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourself, looking not to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Because this is the mind of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let you guys know we got a special treat for you next week because next week we're going live and on video. We have been invited to participate in a United Methodist Podcast-a-thon. Church podcast-a-thon. Podcast-a-thon. So next Thursday, uh, uh, next Thursday, October fifth at two o'clock, we're we're taking this podcast live and and on camera. James, tell the people how they can access that. So you can catch us next week live and in living color <laughs> on uh, facebook.com backslash resource UMC. It's going to be done and streamed on Facebook Live. So we're going to be famous. <laughs> or just embarrassed. Or just embarrassed. But uh, anyway, Elizabeth, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, thank you guys for listening, and we will be back next week. Mm-hmm.